0: Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Kicks Podcast, a fortnightly magazine programme about East Asian film, led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and brandmaster of EasternKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. There you are. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, festivals, and often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to the fourth episode in our regular podcast. This time, we're joined by Easton Kicks writer and podcasting pro, Stephen Palmer. Hi <laughs> there. <laughs> Later on, we'll be talking about Burnin' Isle and, and the impact of recent events on the film market there. Dr. Chen Pinchuan, Director of Culture Division, Taipei Representative Office, UK. will share some insight into King Hu. while Nina tells us why you should watch Raining in the Mountain and gives us his Easton Kicks pick. And we'll also be finding out about how Japan Times film critic Mark Schilling got into Easton Flicks. But firstly, let's get to the important stuff. What are you drinking this week, James?
1: Uh, I've got a fairly ambitious mixture this week. Um, mm. So as usual, I have some um, not very expensive Scottish whiskey and a red wine, which is, to be honest, opened a couple of days ago. But we also have some very expensive uh, Guijo Bajou, which you're going to be trying in a second. Indeed. We'll catch your reaction. We'll see what, we you will see it what happens. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It could turn nasty. It will turn nasty. Um, and so uh,
0: yes, so apart from the peach out I've also got a uh, funky state soul train, uh, which is a peach tea IPA. <laughs> peach tea. So we could we could go either way here. You know, on one side we've got the soul music, which is you know boom, it's it's what I'm about. You know, apart from my uh, interest in Asian film, and on the other side it's peach. What's the tea. percentage? It is six point
1: eight. Okay, so well that's respectable. Isn't it? It's respectable. follow. you're, you're going yeah, to lose. Yeah. You're fine then,
0: Stephen. The awkward moment.
2: <laughs> I, I, I feel I'm a bit off brand, being as anti-total. I'm having a lovely mug of water. <laughs> it's a mug as well. It's a, absolutely yeah. It's, it's a very classy mug. Um, it's design. <laughs> well, shall
1: we cheers? Yes, that's uh, we'll bite the the Bijou, and not yeah. can't cheers with the water because it's that would be bad luck. But. That's me going. Okay. There you go. Podcast is over. It's only fifty-three percent this one.
0: This Episode Our main focus is going to be on King Who, a filmmaker winning drawing appeal and critical acclaim, but one for whom the majority of whose work until quite recently was near impossible to get hold of and a near decent quality. And we're looking at this from the perspective of recent Blu ray releases for Raining from the Mountain and Come Drink with Me. Where to start with King Who? Well, I've got a little potted biography
1: go on no, in no, no. I like it I like that would be it. I, don't, I don't know as much about it as you guys so that would be that would be interesting
2: okay so I mean the reason I, I like Gingo is Come Drink With Me mm. right mm. that is one of my favourite films of all time so even on my podcast couldn't get Elwood into it but I, <laughs> I, I love it I, I, I see it as a kind of gateway film mm. um, it's the sort of film you can show to people to show you, what is this weird subtitle thing that you're watching mm. because it isn't as um, obstructive as quite a lot especially in the Wusha world, you know, it's not quite as difficult to understand yeah. or get your head around.
0: And I it think it's kind of, I mean, it's a very interesting period in those sort of late 60s Wuxia, where they were playing around with different genres, you know, obviously they were looking at stuff from Japan, they mm-hmm. were looking at stuff from the West as well, and, and, you know, that is like the perfect storm of these influences. It, it is, and and that film in
2: particular is, is sits in between a, a sort of an old and a new. So, so King Hu himself, um, uh, he was born 1932 in Beijing. Or, mm. well, I guess Peking, technically, then. <laughs> <laughs> um, big fan of Peking opera, mm. which probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, mm. but he wasn't a cinema guy. Okay. He wasn't one of these people with the stories, oh, yeah, I went to the cinema and I yeah, watched, no. you know, The Goddess, and n- none, none of that going on. Um, moved to Hong Kong in
3: 1949.
2: Mm. Um, for obvious reasons. Uh, for obvious reasons, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which, um, so... so Quite a lot of mainland Chinese people moved to Hong Kong at that time. Mm -hmm. Got a job tutoring English to to children. Mm. And one of the families that he was tutoring was um, worked for Great Wall Studios. Okay. He just fell into it they offered him he got a job as a set designer mm-hmm. and eventually got a contract acting so he made as an actor something like 37 films wow which okay. I can't tell you I've never seen any of them as far as I, I know, know. I, I, know yeah,
0: I mean there's a few that he's in I mean there's actually he's in Kingdom of the Beauty which is quite well known one mm-hmm. by um, Li Han Cheng uh, who kind of adopted him really and kind of let, you know he was an assistant director for him mm. um, and I mean I was watch- I have watched bits of some of the films mm. he's in and he's actually not a bad actor mm. I think what's most interesting is he had actually quite a successful career mm. And then I think one of his own films that he actually acts in, Sons of Good Earth, is actually one of his last movies and he kind of
1: pretty much steps back.
2: So Sons of Good Earth was his first proper directing gig. But Sons of Good Earth, it's a sort of anti-Japanese war flick. So this was a thing at the time. So Mm. the first one did all right, got a contract to make a second film, similar similar sort of stuff, anti-Japanese, war, propaganda kind of thing. Mm. However, it got pulled after two weeks because basically the anti-Japanese stuff might have played well in, in China. It didn't play very well in Malaysia and Singapore, which okay. were huge markets for Shaw Brothers. Mm-hmm. So this, sorry, this was with Shaw Brothers. But the contract he got said, so he basically had one more chance, which was turned out to be Come Drink With Me.
4: Okay,
2: And Come Drink With Me, although it was a smash hit and revered today, Um, Run Run Shaw hated it, hated the (laughs) rushes, wanted it to be um, quicker, faster, more action-packed. He didn't like the work ethic of uh, Mr. Who. Because he was too fastidious, too slow, too slow. Yeah. Because I
0: actually remember um, hearing some stuff about there's a, a a fight scene near the end where um, it was shooting for days and days, and it's like you, if you don't finish in ten days, then you can you can forget it, <laughs> you know, And and so you know all those kind of cutaways and stuff like that. Whereas uh, yeah, yeah, like in the, the typical Hong Kong thing, like yeah, just get it done. Five days, that's enough. Come yeah. on, yeah.
2: So so <laughs> I mean I mean Hong Kong cinema at the time and and probably even now is to the recent past it was very much a a churn it out film a week film every two weeks that kind Mm -hmm. of thing which isn't what King Who is about yeah so he walked away from Shaw Brothers even but but the success of um, Come Dream With Me meant he could go to Taiwan Mm -hmm. which also had a very active film industry at the time um, but maybe of a slightly different pace and he made two of his other sort of classics Dragon Him yeah which was a phenomenal success, absolutely, absolutely phenomenal, yeah. success. and been remade a couple of times more recently. Yeah, New Dragon Inn and flying swords with of flying sword Gate. Dragon Gate. Yeah, oh, yes. and the, also, yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, well, I mean, we can get into that, but he he also kind of remade it a few
1: times as well. Hey, but then,
0: indeed,
2: yeah. indeed, indeed, Same <laughs> oh, <yeah>.
1: thing <And, laughs> um, with uh, yeah. Goodbye Dragon Inn forget what Dragon is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A kind of no, remake, but still, it, yeah. so, you yeah. know,
2: I mean, that, that that's playing at the cinema in that in that film, and, and it's very yeah. important that it's that film. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's mm.
1: kind but of But its had that huge influence on so many other films. And he has so some of the movies, actors so. as well rolling around as the kind of ghosts. And That's so right, yeah.
2: yeah. And what's the other one he made? Was it Fate Fatal Lee Lee And those yeah. three films come drink with me, Dragon Inn, Fate Cars, Lee Karn, sort of known as the Inn trilogy, the Inn films, mm. because basically all the action happens, all the main action happens within Inns, yeah. which is kind of important. <laughs> so he's interested in this concept of the Jianghu, where the, the, this, this place, this, this world where heroes exist and they fight mm. um, the autocratic despots and they're genuinely good but the inn represents it so an inn back in the period China would have been the place where the whole village the whole town mm. congregate so the action happening there that, that's absolutely key mm, yeah. um, well. Who who is also very interested in Buddhism mm-hmm. which we'll see much more coming to play with his later films, yeah. but he's very unlike. So, so going back to "Come Drink with Me," obviously got Cheng Pei Pei's um, Golden Swallow character, which a lot of people will say, oh, you know, that's the great one of the first great female characters in martial <laughs> arts cinema." Whether that's true or not, much for debate. I mean,
0: I mean I, but but I mean, there was that kind of weird thing, wasn't it? Because there were lots of actual female heroes, kind of even from the nineteen oh, like twenties sort of and thirties, absolutely silent cinema, and actually it was. Chang Chi, who kind of spoiled that when his kind of very male dominated yeah, yeah. films became famous in the, yeah, in the late sixties and, and just took over in the seventies and it became very much the kind of male dominated yeah. kung fu, and it took all the new wave Hong Kong directors like Chai Hark to kind of go, Oh, actually, no, we want those female characters back in there. Yeah. And, and they were absolutely followed King
2: Hu absolutely straddles those two worlds. Um he straddles the that masculine kung fu. But also very interested in the previous films were very much interested in the supernatural of the martial arts. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were they weren't grounded in realism. They were coming from a different place, and then you had the the sort of the new wave directors like Joy Hart and people like that who were more about physicality, clever camera angles, things like that. But actually, the actors really doing the um, really doing the stunts or wire wire work or whatever. So he kind of straddles that kind of world. But going back to "Come Drink with Me," what we got to remember is that her character is actually a secondary character in the film. It's called "Come Drink with Me." It's actually about the other guy.
5: Yeah, it's about
2: the drunken, drunken, drunken guy. Cat. The yeah. final, the final scene, the final action—he's having the fight, not her. Mm, For you, yeah. you know, it, it's it's a, it's easy to get um, a bit overly enthusiastic about that aspect of "Come Drink with Me." Yeah, as fantastic as it is, he had nothing to do with the sequel, "Golden Swallow." That's nothing to do with him. But. Um, yeah. Chang Chang film with Jimmy Wang Yu. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so he went off and made those films in Taiwan. Actually, I've got a quote from him here. Um, so he says, The audience is the camera. I don't want the audience to sit and watch. I want it to move. And I think that's very much a... Um, thing that you can see in king who films is that it's not it's not a super dynamic camera but there's lots of quick cuts there's a lot of um so the famous fight scene in the inn at the beginning of come drink with me the camera's moving around it's always balletic i mean chen yeah. Pei pei was a dancer mm. she was not a martial artist um so that's coming from his love of peking opera as yeah. well yeah. but he's the, the camera is quite dynamic especially when you
3: look at the filmmakers of the time Hello everyone, my name is Bing Chun. I'm the Director of Cultural Division in Taipei Representative Office in the UK and I'm the former Director of Taiwan Film Institute As a film professional, in my point of view, the most significant achievement of King Hu is In his films, he adopted the elements from Chinese traditional opera, Jingju into his martial arts films, the way of performance in his wuxia martial art movies adopted from the stage play of Chinese opera. Therefore, the mise-en-scene of King Hu's martial arts films, including the stages, the settings, the acting of characters in the films were more like a conversion of stage from Chinese opera. The concept was slightly different from the conventional action movies, which is kung fu movies in terms of Chinese-language movies in general Although King Hu was born in mainland China and had his premiere in Hong Kong in 1966 However, most of his career were in Taiwan after 1970s and the most of his masterpieces such as Raining the Mountain, Legend in the Mountain were produced in Taiwan. He definitely is an important figure of Taiwan film and a legend in terms of world film history.
1: Yeah. Touch of Zen is probably the it's other. That can it that's, that's it was the Cannes winning one. That's
2: why. But it was, it, it was
0: a can winner quite a few years after it had actually been made and kind of vaguely it released. Win. What was that like? <laughs> strange. I mean, that's that. I'm, I'm not entirely sure about
1: didn't, why didn't it Didn't
2: it win for like like on artistic, camera work or something yeah, like, nice. they, they had a different but name but it was like mm. I think this just uh,
1: different I mean, names for back then yeah. it was like the prize in French sport technical something yeah
0: right. and, and I, I believe it was sort of like it sort of towards the mid 70s that it, it actually got that award when it was you know it's a 1971 mm. film oh, okay. but it got released originally released in two parts mm. this is kind of the other aspect that I kind of want to talk about with King here is, is that actually he's very much acclaimed but Part of the reason that he's fairly problematic is lots of his films weren't particularly successful. Absolutely. Which is, which is partly why he gets into this thing into the 70s, I think, where several of his films are, you know, he does at the same time. So he kind of does a commercial thing and a less commercial thing, you know. So The Fate of Lee Khan, The Valiant Ones are uh, filmed back to back in recent different years. The Legend of the Mountain and Raining in the Mountain are filmed back to back yeah. in um, South Korea. What is the thing? <laughs> I mean, the thing I find with some of it, looking back at some of these films, is they do feel a bit like my trip to South Korea. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> you went to Gyeongbokgung Palace, and you went to Bulksa and Gyeongju, you know, it's like my fat so I was like, oh, I recognise that. Yeah. But, you know, he, he did these, these kind of films, and, and sometimes uh, the Valiant ones was reasonably, in that instance, both the Fate of Likhan and Valiant ones, when it was released, were reasonably successful. Legend and Raining, Raining was 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 quite successful, but I don't know if Legend really. Well, Legend's over three hours long. Yeah, which doesn't, <laughs> which, doesn't really which, come to which, which
2: doesn't doesn't help at all, and it's yeah. I mean, it, it's fine. I mean, I saw Raining for the first time last night.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. Obviously. Good man. For 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 this yeah. um, and I cannot think of a film which is more a, a better example of his mindset. Yeah, it's 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 a it martial is, arts it is, film. It is dragging
0: in and effectively can't, and it's the same thing again. Except it's in the South Korean yeah, but it's temple. But it's um, there's a lot of running around. There's a little bit of martial
2: arts, very little. There's a, there's a bit of a scene at the end, but um, which if you put the Benny Hill music to, was it <laughs> but um, but it's it's about Buddhism. It's about good people doing yeah. good things and bad people doing bad things and getting the retribution it's about karma it's, it's quite like, interesting it?
0: with that one I mean, normally there's a clearer distinction with who the heroes and the bad guys are but for the, no. the people you're with, with in, in Running in the Mountain it's actually those lead, those lead characters that draw you in, in the first place aren't good people either not at all there's that an is... employed thief yeah. and uh, you know without any kind of like spoilers here but it's it's quite interesting. What I love about his stuff, and it is this kind of, and, and it does the same thing in Dragon Inn, I think probably the best, uh, Fate of Lee Khan, which is basically Dragon Inn again, mm. um, is you've got this kind of, you know, it's kind of an espionage thing. In some ways, they play out like a, a, a Wuxia kind of farce, basically, mm. so it, it expanded farce. People <laughs> are kind of here, they're there, they're trying to hide from each other, but it is so beautifully done. Oh, it's, I mean,
2: you look look, look at Raining in the Mountain. Is it Raining in the Mountain? There's no rain in it, and I didn't mean Raining yeah. Mountains, but... There's mountains in the, the all, yeah. in the background, There are all in the background. I'm really struggling with the name, but um, <laughs> um, there are moments of exquisite beauty in the, in the natural shots. You know, it's South Korea, it's fine, and, and they're outside shots. They're not, um, so come drink with me, there's... It's clearly in a studio, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's in *A Touch of Zen*, in um, Legend of the Mountain*, in *In Raining the Mountain. Yeah, um, these are these are proper exterior shots, and there's beautiful leaves. There's, there's, I'm guessing the fog coming in probably from a machine, but in the, 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 the mist, the misty mountain. I guess mm. there we go. Mm. But um, it's beautiful, and the action is really happening. So when the action does happen, yeah, obviously there's. Boys I mean, he used these
0: right? beautiful kind of. I mean he. I mean, this was quite interesting about King Hugh. I mean, that's the invention of his was the kind of camera trick. So it was playing mm. stuff in reverse. It was, you know, the kind of trampolines that would be hidden behind yeah. stuff and, and cutting stuff in such a way it looked. It was before Waifu, but it did actually define what Waifu wanted to achieve. Absolutely, yeah. Um, in terms of the, the technical effects. And that's what everybody was, was actually ended up kind of copying, was that idea of, you know, those kind of superpowers Mm. That really, you know, didn't happen before him. You know, it was just kind of physical stuff that you could get on a stage. He kind of took it to a different level, using all the kind of powers of, of you know, camera trickery to kind of take it to yeah. something else.
2: And, and and absolutely, what you said about the characters in the film Rainer Mountain is is you follow the first three characters you follow, and they seem to be coming on a pilgrimage, and they've gone to this, um, they've gone to this um, monastery, mm. and you think, you know, they got, and, and then something you find out actually. One of them's a dick, and two of them are killers, and 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 then you meet some other characters who's clearly a dick, and his mate and his mate's another killer, and 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 then there's somebody else coming who's like, oh, he's the greatest lay buddist of all time, and he comes he comes <laughs> with this on whatever a lay buddist is, he comes which is which is actually referenced and queried in the film, <laughs> and he comes with his entourage of beautiful women because like Gandhi, he is so. He is so pure in his Buddhism and <laughs> his chaste, he cannot oh, be tempted. Sorry. And there's, there's this whole sequence later on, weird sequence, where this top buddhist guy is teaching a lesson. So these hundreds of monks, hundreds of them, and they've got these women bathing next to them in, in gossamer tops. and all, all
0: in white in yeah. water. I mean, you know what's going to happen there. Yeah, just, and, 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 they're all, and they're all trying to not look, <laughs> look. <laughs> on camera. It's, and, it's, and, a, as a, it's and, going a strange thing. Actually, it doesn't... <laughs> And he
2: thinks film. no, what a distraction that one. It, but it's but it, but it's weird. But again, it, it's because he's more interested in talking about Buddhism and Taoism yeah. than uh, he is about the actual I mean, the, there's a there's a, mm, yeah, yeah, there's a MacGuffin. Yeah, there's a MacGuffin. There's 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 this there's this scroll um, written by Tripitaka, so, which again mm. is. Very exciting for him because he loved uh, the, called, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know that that was his favorite opera growing up. So this is yeah. this is all feeding into his love of that. And yeah, there's a lot of running around. There's a lot of going after it, which I won't spoil it. But you know, he sticks two fingers up at that whole concept because you know in Buddhism. It isn't about owning property. it not about no, owning the special no. thing. It's about being a good person and doing right by other people. But for for a martial arts film, it's incredibly inward-looking and pacifist. And all these people that we meet, that I've described so far, are all, if not bad people. Um, You don't
0: really know their motives. I mean, actually, it's quite interesting in that sense. Because usually, in these other films, people's motives are actually quite a lot cleaner. mm. Even in Legend of the the Mountain... um, you know, with filming film at the same time, their motives are quite a lot cleaner in terms of of of, of yeah if they're good or bad yeah. It's sort of black and white there's there's a little you know less yeah i, the, mean, the, I, mean, this is I mean very gray apart from my characters who do literally
2: dress up in black and white to go and do their bad stuff <laughs> 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 but but even That's then subtle. but even then one of those characters at the end looks to a you you see I don't want to give it away by giving away their gender, mm. but I probably have by saying that mm. they, they start to question. <laughs> they start to question what's going on yes. during the film, and at the very end, mm. they've gone through some kind. You know, there's a punishment which is going to happen, but they haven't died. A mm. mm. uh, lot, lot of people. And with that do person, think,
0: there's definitely kind of an implication that, that that they are that person is an employed mercenary, yeah. and uh, actually is kind of questioned everything from that point and, quite... and so the actions that happens
2: it's kind of in it's, it, 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 there's, there's a metaphysical story that's going on here which is probably not present in other films of that genre that came before now it won't be for everybody I mean it's only mm-hmm. two hours long thank God I gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have took another three three hour plus film like um, See, I mean
0: I'm going back to those in a I, I that was a film I hadn't seen and Actually, I kind of watched Raining and Legend back-to-back. Back. Okay. And it's interesting that they actually, they, they do feel, it almost feels like they're kind of intertwined in places, not just because they're using the same locations and, you know, you're, they're going to a monastery in certain places and it's the same monastery and the same people and probably just kind of swap some costumes Ooh, and no, placements. They... Um, and some people are playing the same parts. But yeah. I, I I found Legend really interesting in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's 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 it is very long it is basically it, it, it feels like and it's quite interesting that, that King Hu was actually an assistant director on the Enchanting Shadow for Han Chang, and, and basically it is with Enchanting Shadow which is which became a Chinese ghost story mm-hmm. it's very much the same kind of story absolutely you know a scholar goes off you know he's got this important job to do or whatever and suddenly he gets ends up in a sort of ghost kind of world kind of thing going on um, everybody wants a bit of him uh, but they're all basically ghosts by the looks of it, mm. and um, it's it pulls on a lot of the same stuff.
3: It does. It's, it's a much more
0: supernatural. It's a much more supernatural. I actually, I mean, I I I I kind of found it in many ways actually much more rewarding than than raining because I just I, yes, it's it's it's. Very long at three hours. Uh, well, of course, of course, that's minutes. that's been a recent thing for us to get the three hour
2: version. There is there was there was a cut version, a two hour two long, hour two long know, which just version, which is, right? mis- which is missing,
4: of tranches of
2: the which you the plot. could you could probably easily do to be honest. <laughs> as with any film that's three hours long, you can cut three an hour hours it. Three <laughs> Yeah, hours, really. I, mean, I
0: think I mean what that film and what's was quite interesting about those films as well that that you you kind of see see how much Jai Hark is. Very much a follower of these films because um, you think about Dragon Inn and, and the the version that he produced, New Dragon mm, Inn. Yeah. Um, it's actually a lot more, a lot closer to the fate of Lee Khan mm. because you've got all the female characters and all the kind of so many characters going on in there. I think that's the problem with Lee, fate of Le Khan for me is actually there's there's too many plates spinning and when you get to the end, you you just kind of give up yeah. in terms <laughs> of who you're rooting for, um, and you know in this, you know. He, you know, chang was very faithful to the Enchanted Shadow, but looking at the Legend, legend of, uh, of the Mountain, you know, it was actually kind of seeing that he's, he's picking up on lots of bits. There's lots of, in, in there's, there's quite a lot of fireworks and things going on in Legend of the Mountain mm-hmm. that he kind of draws on, and, and um, you know, it, it, you know, it's there's lots of scenes that actually kind of, actually redo the Enchanted Shadow as well he's such yeah.
2: a fan of it I mean Charles definitely a fan definitely influenced by but also part of what replaced him so mm. you know he, he, he continued to make films with less and less success um, although uh, Painted Skin
1: for example yeah. was, I think I, I think that was actually the first of his films I watched and that was his last proper yeah, um, yeah. that uh, was his last agent. film so that's what I was trying yeah. down, like yeah.
2: pretty much and, and, I that, and, ghost story, and, that, and then I did, that got yeah. remade a few years ago Later, it? Yeah, it's about, yeah. yeah, we got yeah. them right at yeah, the end, sort but, of
1: 10 years
2: ago. Was
1: it jo- Joey Wong?
2: Joey Wong, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Joey Wang Wong. It's been where you're from. Exactly. So, yeah, um, yeah, so, um again, and that's all taken from the same source stories as I want to say Legend in the Rain. It's one of those um collection of sort of dark oh, stories. I, I can't remember the, what there is. From Arante's studio
1: that puts on yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah so yeah. It's,
2: it's taken from one of them. I, I, I kind of like that. However, at that point, when he made Painted Skin. So think about what's happening then in Taiwan cinema. You've got people like Sao Chen, Ebu Jiang, you've got the Taiwanese Mm. New Wave, who are much more not interested in this this fantasy, or indeed in the Buddhism, they're interested in what's going on in their contemporary world. In Hong Kong, you've got the Hong Kong New Wave, Choi Hart, that we've talked about. Yeah. When are you, who made... So that kind here, 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 of... that kind of, their, yeah. their, We just their, took it to,
0: to, to a whole different level
3: of, yeah. of stuff. <star-spers2> their, their, yeah. their,
2: their, their interest is in the visual, in the physicality, yeah, yeah. in the blue... Tints on the screen, you know, there were different. New red tints, they yeah. were very kind of years, and, and, and so like he, he's become, he comes irrelevant, not overnight, but the, both the worlds that he was able to operate in have replaced him, they've got completely mm. different I think and the other thing you've
0: got to think about there is it was, he, he became, because, I mean, again, it was his own, probably his own fastidiousness that kind of got him in trouble, but he became a very problematic director because mm. the whole thing about, so his big comeback movie. Swordsman, which mm-hmm. was was, was ah, produced yeah, yeah. by Chai yeah. and um, you know you 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 know uh, as we all know was basically directed by Chai by Anhui. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there yeah, there's a lot of people. And, yeah. and and I guess yeah. and, and I
2: think for me it's that that that's, cover it up, that yeah. literally sums it up. You know, he yeah. had this film for he he walked out and he was replaced by two of the names from the new wave. <laughs> literally, yeah. you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, you know, if it was a film, you couldn't make it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you'd say that's a bit unrealistic. But I don't know. I don't know how he was. I mean, she worked with him. She was mm. his assistant in the Newsumter as well. So yeah. it's kind yeah, of, yeah. all the yeah. family.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But but the but the language that he was talking, the film language he was talking, the stories he was trying to tell weren't resonant anymore. Mm. Yeah. Um, he went off to America. Tried to. um to get funding to make a film i think i think it was about like japanese railway workers or something like that chinese railway workers in the states he was trying to make a film about that Mm. um and unfortunately he died just before they were about to start shooting so he went back to taiwan Mm. had a heart operation and died of complications from that so we don't know what would have happened no the likelihood is it wouldn't have happened but you know Um. that's the story for you but you know he left behind this body of work which I, I do think things like Come Drink with me have been and um, Touch of Zen have probably for as long as I've been interested in nation cinema they've been high watermarks yeah, but we yeah. are getting to see these other films now that are getting those Blu-ray releases and they're yeah. nice releases and the films yeah. deserve that
0: because of the Your beauty, and they deserve that. It's kind of the thing, is that you know, like even I mean, that's the thing that always I'm I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like Touch of Zen is is one of those high watermark classics. That even though it was, I mean, this is part of the problem as well, I think you know, it it wasn't a success, but you know, that's why it's been stuck on a shelf for a long time. But it was such a high watermark of of, of quality of ideas that you know, and, and this kind of mix of actually being. Critically acclaimed both by the sort of who would become the new wave of Hong Kong and in Taiwan as well. So you can you can you can think of it a bit like
2: the um the Velvet Underground's first album, yeah. Where <laughs> where where not many people bought it, but everybody who did formed a band. And I think I think you can see <laughs> Touches in yeah. as very much like that, that it inspired and influenced two new schools. You know, not it's not the sole the sole influence, but absolutely from those other names spring from King Hu, yeah, in a way that those other his other contemporary directors probably don't. Um, he's you know he's he's working at a different level, but you know he, he had he had some box office hits.
0: We've basically pretty much got most of his his films out now. There's mm. there's not a lot else out there apart from kind of segment films that he was involved in. I think there's one modern-ish film that he did in the 80s that, that hasn't ar- arised, you know, when mm. you kind of get towards the um, you know, somebody does painted skin mm. you know, and, and the Valiant ones, which hasn't Hasn't, yes. hasn't come out. In a I better. guess
2: that's the that's the main one that's missing, isn't it? The it really ones. is probably the next one, yeah. and, and
0: actually, it's probably one of the the, the bigger hits he had in the seventies. So it'd be interesting to see that when it, it comes out. But you know, it's that kind of weird thing of, of suddenly kind of being recognised. And, and it's just like I was saying, Touch of Zen. I mean, the DVD re- releases of that were absolutely sure. atrocious, shocking. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I do remember, and I can't remember uh, when it was on British TV what channel it was on, but I do remember that copy being better than the one that was on DVD, definitely. Uh, no, it says a lot, of, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't all just dark with some sort of, is that supposed to be a spider's web? You know, um, you can't really see it. Uh, you know, it's great to have that stuff out there and, and you know, and, and that quality. But now we've kind of gone to the extreme of, of, of picking up absolutely everything that he's, yeah, he's but, got.
2: But I, 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 I just think he's... He's historically important in terms, of who he, in terms of the films, in terms of the body of work, yeah. in terms of who he inspired, but also he's interesting because he came from China, worked in Hong Kong, worked mm. in Taiwan. The working in, in South Korea doesn't really count because that's just a location thing. But I can't think of many others. I can think of actors and actresses who moved from Taiwan to Hong Kong, yeah. but I can't think of many directors who came with a Chinese sensibility... Because that—that's that, yeah. what he is. Yeah. You know, he's—he's he's not a Hong Konger. Yeah, he's—he's yeah. he's, he's definitely a, a mainland Chinese person. He—he mm-hmm. he, he worked and was successful as an actor and initially as a director in Hong Kong, successful in Taiwan, who were probably more interested in romantic films than they were in wuxia films at the time. Very um, true. Very true. And just sort of sits as a pan-Asian director, as opposed to somebody who's necessarily tied to a particular um, film industry within mm-hmm. Asia.
5: and I would like to talk about King Hu's Reigning in a Mountain. Filmed in 1979, it's widely considered to be Hu's last great film, and what an excellent piece of cinema it is. In it, various characters, including a wealthy businessman and a couple of hired thieves, as well as a corrupt general and his very devious right-hand man, all arrived at this Buddhist temple to help the current abbot to choose his successor. But what they really after is this priceless sutra that is housed in the ta- temple library and all kinds of scheming and politicking ensue from there. There's a lot to love about this film. It may not be the most action-packed film in whose catalogue. It's more of a battle of wits than actual physical altercations, but whatever martial arts is in there is nevertheless excellent. The fight scenes are still very much inspired by the Beijing opera, uh, which gives them this beautifully flowing dance-like quality. The best action scenes are in the very end of the film with the two thieves, White Fox and Gold luck fleeing the temple with all the monks on their tail and especially great scene is seen with the group of Buddhist nuns coming after them, jumping down from these huge rocks with their ropes flowing in air, giving the whole scene this very otherworldly and haunting feeling. And of course the very final scenes of the capture of white fox are just superb to watch. The film has gorgeous cinematography in general. There's absolutely beautiful nature shots from start to finish and it's very cleverly shot in a way that introduces us to the whole stage where this wonderful story is going to unfold. There's a brilliant scene in the very beginning of the film with the Esquire Wen and the two thieves arriving to the temple that introduces us to all the landscape uh, around the area, as well as a wonderfully sneaky scene with White Fox and Goldlock going around the temple looking for the library, which sets the whole stage for most of the story. Running in the Mountain is an incredibly well-designed film. Uh, it's just you to go back for a second viewing to get a full grasp of all the teams and all the schemes that are going on in it. Um, a great watch for any King Who fans and also for anyone who enjoys great intrigue and great martial arts.
0: So okay, so now we should catch up about Bull all with James and
1: the scene of the festival. Um, I mean, for me personally, uh, Berlinale this year, um, yeah, very disappointing. Well, obviously, because I mean, just you know, force majeure, the virus, everything hidden. So, so many of the Chinese companies who were supposed to be there at the market were obviously not there. But I think beyond that, it was interesting to see how little you know Chinese programming there actually was there. I mean, there were still a few Japanese, a few Korean films, not very many. I mean, you had a few of the bigger ones, like Hong Sang Su's new film was there. Yeah, um, which I've heard is even more self-referential branch, than his other yeah. stuff, which makes it a must-see probably. Simon Yang's new thing as well. Uh, actually, I was at you know his t- he did a, a small talk for like uh, invited to by like, the the Taiwan MOC and he he talked about King Hu a lot. During that time as well, so yeah. it's it was, it was quite an interesting Lincoln. He also played a lot of music and everything to fill up the fill up the two hour slot. And <laughs> he was very he was very he was very charming, very funny as usual. He he talked the first half an hour. He only talked about Judy Garland and how much he loved Judy Garland. He didn't like the new Judy film, just for reference. But he's a huge fan of Judy Garland. He was talking about her representation in cinema. It's it was more like you know he can go to YouTube and listen to Judy Garland. So why does he? See, see the need to actually see a new film about her, even though he thought the acting was good and stuff. But honestly, two hours of him just being... Most of it was him laughing. He was so happy. So it was a really nice talk session and everything. But I think uh, there wasn't really a huge amount of content there, actually. You know, for me, which I was personally interested. Uh, The main one which I saw was the the one which won at Rotterdam, which was uh, The Cloud in Her Room, which was directed by... Jung Lu which I thought was an amazing, I thought it was an amazing film. I, you know, I'm fully I admit mean, I'm not into like the mad art house stuff, like, but this was kind of a mix of like the sort of French New Wave, Chinese indie stuff, and some pure mad experimental stuff in there as well. And even though it's not even clear how the plot is chopped up, it's all in black and white, and it's just different scenes here and there. It's um, it hangs together really, really well. And I can see why it won like the best film award at Rotterdam since they've given their award to black and white Chinese in these for three years in a row now. <laughs> so, Widowed Witch yep. uh, present dot perfect dot and now this everything. So I mean and if Rotterdam is coming out it's like more of the place for these kind of Chinese films. I mean that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's good somewhere as um, A lot of these films are not screening around as much as they, as they were maybe like three or four years ago. So even so actually getting to see this film on the big screen and stuff was fantastic. Um, didn't see a dragon seal before the start of it, so I'm getting. I have no idea <laughs> what his China situation is yeah. or how they're screening outside of China, which is quite interesting. And there's a huge amount of sex and nudity in the film not a huge amount, just the parts which are very graphic. Uh, not going to spoil it, but there's a lot of close ups male and female, so you know, it's equal. But I think that for me, the main thing was being directed by a young female first time director, or everything, though I'm not going to speak for the. Female perspective. You can see a big difference in a lot of the Chinese indies, which there are from your know, young Chinese male directors, yeah, who are you know doing films about young Chinese females, whether they're figuring out their sexuality or figuring out their own, you know, different way in the world. You know, it, it feels very different to that. I mean, you would have to ask. I'm not going to speak in a female voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can try if you want, but um, you know what I mean. Though it's a very, it's a very, it does feel like a very different type of film, especially with the experimental stuff in there um and for what i gather like it's being chased for international release by a few people so i'm not sure how well it'll do just because it is she has a very very distinctive voice of director which is fantastic mm-hmm. and the acting in it's actually really good as well but kind of flips between like documentary stuff like interviews with the the characters who may or may not be as the cast and then yeah like, some really experimental stuff like turning between like n- negative film and everything Okay. So, there's a lot of stuff in there which is quite weird, but I don't know. I'd
0: I mean, it's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, without having seen it, it could go yeah. away, couldn't it? But some, and and she puts that out there. Yeah. I think she and
1: the cast, they get yeah. the tone exactly right. Yeah. So, for me, it really worked very well. But whether or not that works for other people remains to be seen. But it's, yeah, I think it's a shame. I think Berlin has been dropping off. Like London, you know, the last couple of years, to be honest, has not really had very much in the way of like, Chinese content.
4: This is Mark Shillane. I'm uh, based in Tokyo, Japan. I've been here since uh, 1975. I uh, write for the uh, Japan Times, reviewing Japanese films, and um, I'm gonna talk about how I got into Eastern flicks. Yeah, the first Asian film I saw, oh wow. I mean, the first one that made a big impression on me was probably uh, Seven Samurai, which I saw when I was uh, in college. And at that time, you know, I was going to the uh, University of Michigan, which had a lot of film, you know, here and there. I mean, there was even the pioneering indie film festival, you know, the Ann Arbor Film Festival. But um, as far as the Asian film went, there wasn't too much at all. I mean, uh, you know, Kudasau was totally, totally new. <laughs> and it struck me, of course, uh, as something I hadn't seen before, but. I could see the uh, relationship right away between what he was trying to do and what someone like, say, John Ford was trying to do. And I thought, wow, he's doing it better. You know, what he is doing is um, just totally amazing. So I I wanted to see more by him, and I ended up seeing more by um, uh, people like Ozu and um, Mizuguchi and so on. But uh, before I came to Japan, there really wasn't a lot, okay? I went to LA. Lived there for two years. You know, I saw a lot of films, you know, in the early 70s and so on. But again, at that time, there just wasn't a lot of Asian films coming to the States. Except, okay, there was a place called Little Tokyo that was screening, uh, you know, films by, say, Toei and Shoichiku and, and, and that kind of thing, you know, more like um, you know, commercial films for the uh, local you know, expat and uh, Japanese-American audience, but I wasn't really aware of those. And as it turned out, um, I was kind of stupid. <laughs> Not to take advantage of that, you know, but uh, there I was. I mean, a guy named Paul Schrader, the guy who wrote the uh, screenplay for um, a Taxi Driver and so on and so on, was seeing those films around that same time. and. He ended up writing a very influential essay on, you know, Yakuza movies. That was a big influence on me when I wrote my own book, you know, much, much later. Anyway, I ended up going to Japan, and um, I thought, well, I'm in the country of Kurosawa. And um, at that time, there was a new Kurosawa movie in the theaters, the one he made in in Russia, there's Uzala. I went to see it. But, you know, my, my Japanese was zero. My Russian was zero. (laughs) So I just sat through the whole movie not understanding anything, right? But I said, okay, I have to learn. So, uh, you know, one week after I arrived in Japan, I started Japanese lessons and I kept plugging away at that for five years. Even with all that study, you know, just going to a theater and seeing a Japanese movie was not that easy because, of course, at that time, there were no subtitles anywhere. So around 1980, you know, Kurosawa made another film, Kagemusha, and I thought, okay, this time I'm going to understand the damn thing. So I I sat down with my Japanese teacher. You know, we happen, I happen to have a a script of the film, and we spent a month, like, going over the script. So I go into Kagemusha, and I I kind of understand what's going on. (laughs) It it still wasn't easy because it's a period drama, right? And the the language is very, you know, 17th century. So, um, you know, I had all these challenges. I was still interested enough I kept going to see you know local well Japanese films and then the breakthrough in terms of thinking yeah you know, maybe I can actually do this was I got into Juzo Itami. you know his films um, starting with uh, the funeral and Tom Popo and the taxing woman and so on and so on I would go see those again in the theater with everyone else and think okay this is a the Japan I know. You know, it's happening, what's happening on this screen is also happening out in the world I live in. Okay, it's not the 17th century anymore. And I thought, this is <laughs> what he's doing here is very cool. And it's not something I was seeing in, you know, films like Kurosawa or Mizuguchi Oroji. I said, okay, this is um, maybe something I can write about. So anyway, I had that in the back of my head and um, that led me to see more films and, um, Again, more of the contemporary film because, you know, the language was easy enough and, uh, again, the themes were immediate enough that uh, I could see them the way I'd I'd see, say, a Hollywood film or a European film. Yeah, for me, it wasn't plunging back in the past so much. It's just um, getting up to speed with what was going on at that moment, which is uh, what they called the bubble era in Japan, you know, the uh, 1980s when, you know, the economy was taking off and, you know, the whole country was in a kind of crazy, uh, upbeat anything can happen mood, right? So anyway, you know, that got me into it. And then the Japan Times came along with an opening for a film critic. And um, that's another story. But I, I ended up latching onto that. And um, in the beginning, there were just two of us. And we were, you know, splitting up the uh, all the reviews, you know, not just Japanese films. So I was seeing, you know, films from Hollywood, films from China, everywhere. But, you know, eventually I was thinking, okay, what I'm seeing in Japanese films now is to me more interesting than seeing, say, a Spielberg film and being the number one thousand interviewer. You know, it's already been reviewed, reviewed, reviewed. There's nothing really new I can say about it. But Japanese films, you know, maybe I can say something <laughs> that no one else is saying because nobody else is seen them outside Japan, right? So I started getting more and more into it. And, um, oh, I would say about 1992, somewhere around there, I just switched over. I stopped reviewing um, non-Japanese films. So, um, that's
1: how
6: it got started. Hiya, uh, it's Ant here. My Eastern Kicks pick for this episode is Kingdom. Really good, slick, fantastical, South Korean, supernatural, zombie, horror, melodrama, comedy. Bit of a mouthful there, but it does hit all those bases it's currently streaming on Netflix. There's a new series due out at the beginning of March. It's set in the 16th century in Korea. It's got lots of good costumes, got lots of amazing beards. Didn't realise quite how good 16th century Korean beards were, but they were very good indeed. It mostly centres around a small village where there's been an outbreak of this sort of zombie vampiric plague. It's also set in a royal court where the emperor has also and afflicted but the queen is keeping it quiet so she can keep control over everything it has themes of class and how the rich don't really care about the poor which is very common in a lot of Korean dramas whether that's Parasite whether that's Train to Busan the zombies very much represent the underclass in a way that zombies often do especially in you know Romero's Land of the Dead for example is the one that popped into my head the zombie action is a lot of fun they run about a lot so they're the sort of running zombies rather than the slow moving zombies, but that's okay to say there's more of a a virus, more of a sort of vampiric virus than than zombies per se but it is very much within the zombie genre of survival. There's some great scenes where the village have to kind of barricade their their settlement before the kind of zombie vampires attack them. It's got a cast of wonderful characters. the Crown prince is wonderfully engaging. His sort of love interest is a physician and she's played by Duna Bay, who was in sense And she was also the archer, Song Kang-ho's daughter, in Host. I really like it. Um, I've really enjoyed the first series. I'm really excited for the second series. I can't recommend it highly enough. And I'd probably say stop listening to me, ramble on about it and go and
0: watch it. Bye for now. That wraps it for this episode. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. And you can find us online at easternkicks.com and let us know what you think via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest.
4: We'll see you in the next episode, but for now, cheers.